Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash FutureInvestor slash radio. This One Nation Conservative government has been given a powerful new mandate to get Brexit done. I will discuss with our party to ensure there is a process now of reflection on this result and on the policies that the party will take. This is so unique an outcome. There's never been a party that's gone to the country for the fourth time of asking and increased its standing in Parliament. There is a clear desire and endorsement for the notion that Scotland should not be landed with a Boris Johnson government and ripped out of Europe against our will. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Syke. And I'm Roger Hearing. A very good afternoon to you. Now, of course... It's Wednesday, and Wednesday means Prime Minister's Christian time. And the Prime Minister is, even as we speak, being held to account by MPs in the House. He's just been asked a question by a Labour member. Let's uh, listen to what his reply is. She makes some excellent points. In the particular case of, of Liberty Steel, I understand that all those affected, whatever happens, and it is a commercial decision for that company, uh, will be offered an opportunity to remain within the GFG alliance uh, by joining a new company. Sir Geoffrey Clifton Brown, the the Conservative manifesto promises in relation to roll out a broadband and mobile phone signal are incredibly welcome. But would my right honourable friend agree that rural constituencies like mine, wherever they are in the United Kingdom, should not be left behind? And would he agree that these vital technologies should be rolled out? And would he set a firm timetable for their rollout? Yes, uh, Mr Speaker, the Cotswolds needs broadband and the Cotswolds are going to get uh, gigabit broadband, Mr Speaker, and that's why we're putting £5 billion into the rollout of gigabit broadband. And uh, he asked for a deadline, he will get it 2025, Mr Speaker. Leader of the Opposition, Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Could I just put on record... uh, could I just put on record our pleasure at the return of the Northern Ireland Assembly and hopefully the restoration of the peace process in Northern Ireland? I know there's a statement coming on this after Prime Minister's question time. Can the Prime Minister let the British people know why, after almost 10 years of Tory government, patients are waiting longer for essential NHS care, whether it's in A&Es, on waiting lists, or for a GP appointment? Uh, Mr Speaker, we are investing record sums into the NHS and I think indeed the House should be very proud today that we are passing uh, the NHS funding bill which will guarantee such funding not just this year but into the future. Well, passing legislation that will guarantee underfunding of the NHS, yes. Um, Mr Speaker, the number of patients waiting more than four hours in A&E is now at its highest on record for the second month in a row. We've had months of promises, but people need action. There probably isn't a family in the United Kingdom which hasn't been affected in some way by cancer. Yet last year we saw one in four patients waiting more than two months for the start of their cancer treatment. How many more patients will face what are life-threatening delays because our NHS is understaffed and underfunded? Yeah. Uh, 
Mr Speaker, as, as the uh, right honourable gentleman knows, there is a massive demand on the NHS, which, as he also knows, is doing a fantastic job, particularly actually in oncology, where tremendous progress has been made. He's right, he's right to signal the delays that people are facing, and, and they are indeed unacceptable, and that is why uh, we are investing in 50,000... Right, well, let's leave it there. We've heard uh, from Boris Johnson and mm-hmm. from the leader of the opposition uh, talking about the NHS funding. We also heard earlier from other other members of the House concern about uh, access to technology in, in rural areas. So quite an interesting survey of what the mood is about, what people want to talk about. And Corbyn on classic home turf, really, there, as he is the departing leader of the opposition. He doesn't really have too much of an agenda, but there's so much else we've got to talk about today. We're going to talk about Flybe as the government... Uh, moves towards a bailout there. They've said they'll do it, but the details aren't quite clear. And then, of course, we have the details of the Irish election as well. And we'll talk about what that means for Brexit. But let's bring in our guest for the first part of the show. I'm delighted to say that joining us now is Daisy Cooper, who's a Liberal Democrat for St Albans. She's part of the new intake, having won the seat over from the Conservatives. Daisy, great to have you on the show. Thank you. Um, so, I mean, you, you are uh, sort of there in uh, in Westminster, just outside of where all the action is happening. Uh, let's talk about Flybe, the latest government decision. Slightly unusual for the Conservatives to, uh, to to do something like that, to bail out a company or to have some assistance. What do you make of the decision? Was it the right one? Uh, no, I don't think it was. I mean, the fact is that you know, Flybe does provide an incredibly important um, role in terms of connecting areas of the UK that are not otherwise very well connected. But ultimately, if this is a failing company, then we shouldn't have the government propping it up. What's worse is that the government is talking uh, about uh, you know, reducing sort of the cost on airlines as well. And we are facing a climate emergency. We need to be taxing uh, short flights uh, in, you know, around the UK uh, in order to make sure that we can tackle the climate crisis properly. But Daisy, that would mean, in effect, if you, you stood aside, if Flybe uh, collapsed, that would mean a large number of people from quite remote parts of the UK were deprived of the capacity to, to travel easily, to do business, all these kind of things. Do you just say, well, I'm sorry, it's tough? No, I think there are you know, transitional arrangements that can, can be put in place. But quite frankly, the government shouldn't be popping up a company that simply isn't working. Um, I think the issue that we have, as I say, is that we need to be moving people away from uh, short flights. We need to be moving people onto more public transport that is better for the environment. We should be investing in connecting people from different parts of the country. But I don't think on this occasion that you know, there are sometimes very good reasons for, um, for the government stepping in to say to some particular companies where, for example, they need short-term solutions to help them get through uh, you know, a short-term problem, but ultimately their business model works. But where a business model doesn't seem to be working at all, I do think it's the wrong decision. So what would you have done instead? Presumably you'd let Flybe collapse. What next? Um, well, you know, as I say, I haven't been in the, uh, I'm not in government. I'm not in the negotiations with Flybe, uh, so I don't know the, the details. But clearly there is um, work that that company needs to be doing to make sure that it can support those people who are first and foremost going to lose their jobs. They should be putting uh, arrangements in place for anybody who's already you know, booked flights with Flybe to make sure that there are facilities available uh, on other aeroplanes. I think and my understanding is that um, the that Flybe is part of the Atos sort of insurance service that does protect some passengers. So there are levels of protection that are in place. Um, and obviously, without having all the full details about the current situation and how Flybe got to this situation without those warning signs uh, in place, you know, I want to know why the government didn't know about these things sooner. 
All right, let me move you on, Daisy, to another issue that's very strong at the moment, which is about Huawei, another private company, if you like, that the government has to take a decision about. Uh, obviously, Chinese company, Chinese-owned company, involved potentially in our development of the 5G network. The Americans and the Australians are certainly saying they don't think this is good. It has implications for the Five Eyes security intelligence system as well. The implication is that this company could be in a position to take orders from the Chinese government and therefore potentially do harm to our systems. Where do you stand? Should Huawei be used in this system or not? No, I don't think they should. I think there is significant evidence uh, and there is concern from across the House from all sorts of different political parties about the risk that this could pose to our national security. Now, of course, you know, China is a huge power in the world. Of course, there are times we're going to have to work with China. But I do think that, um, you know, it's very worrying that you know, there are there's evidence that there could be uh, the Chinese government could be seeking to get uh, intelligence you know, on the UK uh, from this particular network. So I think when it comes to our national security, whether that's our energy security or whether it's our cyber security, I do think that uh, we need to make sure that those systems are protected from actors that perhaps may not wish us always may not always wish us well. All right, and then on to Brexit with two weeks to go until the big day. Uh, what next for your party? You are such a strong anti-Brexit force. Have you decided what comes next? Well, at the moment, you know, we know we've got months and months and months to go with Brexit because whilst Brexit Day might be in a couple of weeks' time, the government has got an incredibly short amount of time to look to deliver a trade deal that replaces everything that we currently have. So Brexit isn't going away. This is going to consume government from, you know, consume Parliament for months to come. And we said that our role is first and foremost is to scrutinise the government. It's absolutely vital that even when you have a government with a majority, that you have a very, very strong opposition. And Liberal Democrats will be scrutinising the government every single step of the way. I do believe... (laughs) Will you work more closely with Labour? Because that was a big issue during the election. You're probably going to have to now. Um, well, I hope that you know, Liberal Democrats will work with all like-minded MPs, any different political party, to hold this government to account. There are like-minded MPs in the Labour Party, and I hope that we can work with them. And um, Obviously, we'll have to see who their new leader is, but for now, we'll continue to work with like-minded MPs in all sorts of different parties, including the Green Party, Pride, uh, and, and uh, Labour MPs as well, to hold this government to account. And I think we could see just from last week, there's been public outcry about the fact that the Conservatives are refusing to allow unaccompanied refugee children to be reunited with their families. And I don't think we've heard the end of that argument. Well, you may not have heard the end of the argument. You've probably heard the end of whether or not the Conservatives are going to bend to it, because when they've got a majority that they have, and you and the Lib Dems are 11 MPs, there's very little you can do. There's a bit of futility about it, isn't there? Well, no, this is the way that our, this is the way that our Parliament works. You know, uh, one party has a majority and the other uh, opposition parties scrutinise and hold them to account. And when you get public outcry, the government often changes its mind, does a U-turn, takes a different tack, and that's precisely what we'll do. So we will continue to provide that really strong opposition that we need in order to hold the Conservatives to account on all sorts of things, whether it's fixing the business rate system, whether it's reuniting refugee children with their families, whether it's uncovering this Home Office cover-up that we had just in the last couple of days, whether the UK refused or failed to pass on the details of convicted criminals to other EU mm. countries, therefore threatening our national security once again, we will continue to hold the government to account on all of these issues. And finally, Daisy, you in the past have not denied uh, any leadership ambitions. The Lib Dems have got a vacancy. What's the latest on that? 
Um, well, as I said, uh, I haven't ordered out, um, but we'll have to see where we are uh, in a few months' time. The, uh, our federal board, uh, which decides the timetable for the leadership contest, haven't announced what that timetable is. But once they announce what the timetable is, at that point, I'll make a decision as to whether it's the right thing for me or the right thing, I think, for the party. Uh, but for now, I'm going to focus on my seat. Uh, I was elected just, a, just over a month ago, and I've already been making representations to the government about the need to fix our business rate system. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for the Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash FutureInvestor slash radio. Let's have a look at what else is making the news in the world of politics. And I'm going to start with a story that just won't go away. Do we celebrate Brexit? And how do we celebrate Brexit? Calls for church bells to ring have failed to unite the country's congregations. The Times here reporting that uh, the body that represents Britain's bell ringers has refused to endorse any commemorations, saying that ringing should not take place for political reasons. Bishops and vicars also supporting that All position. bishops, all vicars? All bishops, all vicars, according to the Times. Who knows? <laughs> uh, the Brexit Party chairman, Richard Tice, has made some progress. He's tweeted that leave means leave has approval for a celebration in Parliament Square on the 31st of January. January, they're still working on Big Ben's bongs and only fireworks. Now, now I'm going to interrupt the program because we're going to have a little competition. This is pure, okay. purely for, for Sebastian Uh-oh. because, yeah, no, this is this is this is a match match the slogan to the candidate. Game, oh. All right. Now, the, the Labour candidates for these have been announced, and uh, we have their um, we have definitely got their slogans. And I want you to say, tell me which okay. slogan is which person. Okay. First of all, okay, speak truth, win power. Jess Phillips. Oh, very good. Yeah, one for you. We win together. Oh, um, oh, uh, Rebecca, Rebecca Long Bailey. No, oh. yeah, that's that's Nandy. Oh. Right, hers Fight. is about winning as well, though. Yes, uh, no, hers is we win together. It's Nandy. Yeah, I'm not going to give you the rest. Okay, fighting back together. Fighting back together. That's Rebecca Long Bailey. No, it's oh, Emily no. Thornberry. You've got Long Bailey oh. on the Okay, um, another future Haven't is I possible. Always. Another future. Uh, that's Keir Starmer. Yes, which means that our path to power is. Rebecca Long Bailey. Wow. I knew it was something about winning. I think you got two out of three on that. That's going to be a continuing game here on Ruin Bloomberg. Can't wait for the Lib Dems. Mm. Uh, right, uh, tell us about Huawei, Roger. Oh, yes. Now, Huawei uh, won't be part of the UK's key security infrastructure, at least according to the Culture Secretary, Nikki Morgan, who spoke to us on Bloomberg Radio and TV earlier today. I just want to make it very clear, Huawei will not be involved in our critical national infrastructure. The decision, the security, the safety of that, that infrastructure is absolutely paramount. And the U.S. has been putting pressure on the government here to block the Chinese giant's access to its 5G networks. But some supporters say Huawei can be used in non-core areas. However, there are others who say that there is no such thing as non-core in 5G. It was in 4G. It doesn't exist in 5G. That's very interesting because that totally scuppers the argument we heard this morning from Nicky Morgan. Um, but then, of course, the story across all the papers today is about the government's deal to rescue regional airline Flybe. Ministers agreed last night to let the company delay paying off its tax debt and is going to consider consider cutting flight duty as well. Uh, here is the Business Secretary, Andrea, Andrea Ledsom, I'll get that out, who spoke what earlier. What we've agreed to do as government is a review of regional connectivity that takes into account, um, for example, our net zero carbon ambitions. And what that will do is it will create, continue to create a level playing field for all airlines. 
Well, I'm very pleased to say that joining us now is Bloomberg's Charlotte Ryan, who's been reporting on this story. Charlotte, welcome to the programme. So we heard from there, uh, Andrea Ledson, talking about regional connectivity, of course, just two weeks to go until Brexit. This is really about winning back those voters, making sure they come back, is it? Certainly seems to be some of the motivation behind this decision from the government point of view. Uh, Obviously, we know that in the last election, the Conservatives really kind of took a lot of those northern seats from the Labour Party. And while there's not a direct correlation, it is true that quite a lot of these regional areas would have been greatly impacted by the collapse of this airline. And I suppose, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of airlines going, hang on a second, we'd like some of that, potentially, that kind of support. Um, not least, of course, Willie Walsh, who's a, a big figure in the in the world of air, the airline world, just retiring now from IAG, saying it's a blatant misuse of public funds. And it has to be said, the, past, the Conservative Party have been very averse to putting money like that into, into public companies. So is that a fair criticism? So we've actually just heard that IAG have um, filed an official complaint with the... European Commission over this issue. Um, so yeah, certainly we we know Willie Walsh's views on this. It has to be said um, that there's always been a rivalry there between his group IAG and Virgin, which now obviously is a major shareholder in Flybe. So it's important to kind of look at those comments through that lens. But obviously for any airline, they're going to be looking at this, particularly if they have more international roots and thinking, you know, it could be unfair. Interesting to see what Balpa said, the British Airline Pilots Association, that if Flybe didn't exist, it would have to be invented to maintain crucial links and to support the economy. But of course, the other angle to this is climate. We heard from Labour's shadow business minister, Bill Esterson. He said the idea is poorly thought out. That's going to subsidise other profitable airlines at the same time, isn't it? And that doesn't seem to me to be a sensible way forward at a time where we face a climate emergency uh, and we need to reduce our reliance on air travel. So Charlotte, how does this sit with the government's climate change commitments? Honestly, yeah, it sits uneasily with those commitments. But however, the reality of the situation is that this is an airline which connects a lot of areas in the UK that don't have other alternative forms of infrastructure. Obviously, over time, you would imagine that they would be looking towards bolstering those rail networks as well. Um, But yeah, the reality is at the moment, with the loss of this airline, you would have seen a loss in connectivity. Well, that's the part. I mean, part of the issue clearly is how you can replace that and, in, and do it in a climate friendly way. Because we were speaking earlier in the programme to Daisy Cooper, who's the Lib Dem MP for St Albans. She was saying, this is the whole point. We don't want to encourage flight. We want to, particularly short flights, we want to discourage them. But I mean, then I suppose it brings up the case well, OK, what about things like HS2, another way of getting around the country? And as we know, that also has implications. There was a report out by the Wildlife Trust this morning saying it would damage large numbers of, of forests, would, would, dis, would cause problems with wildlife. I mean, there's almost nowhere to go with public transport of any kind that's going to be uh, acceptable, isn't it? Yeah, so what we've seen in other countries, I think, you know, most recently, Germany yesterday, these big public commitments to improving the rail infrastructure. Um, And obviously, this is something that takes a lot of money and time. As you've said, there is the HS2 project, but that really doesn't address the lack of connectivity in the north of England, which, again, is where a lot of this new voter base for the Conservatives has come from. So what's the alternative then? 
Yeah, it's that's a, the big question. It, that is, we're asking you, Charlotte. You've got to decide yes. this now. You've got, to, you've got to save the planet. That is indeed the big question. And you know, I had an interesting conversation with someone yesterday on this who said they were uncomfortable flying when they were doing these kind of within the UK commutes, but their alternative was to drive, which mm. obviously, if every single person gets in their car, is not a good alternative in terms of reducing emissions. We've got to go back to donkeys. I think that's probably about the uh, the best way forward with this. But thanks very much indeed. Uh, for that Charlotte Charlotte Ryan there Bloomberg talking to us Thanks. about Flybe. Well, let's if you took a plane and flew over to Ireland, in fact there was a report this morning, you'd have been quite sick because of uh, Storm Brendan. Lots Ooh. of people very unwell apparently on flights over there. However, in Ireland, of course, there's an election. There absolutely is this as Leverica goes to the polls. Uh, Fianna Foyle is laying out its store for the upcoming general election as we speak. According to bookmakers, uh, Fianna Gael leader and Prime Minister Leo Varadkar is the underdog this time round. Whoever wins the February vote is is crucial for Brexit going forward as the UK and EU, of course, due to begin those trade talks very soon. So let's get over to Dublin. Bloomberg's Dara Doyle is there. Uh, he's, in fact, at the Fianna Fáil campaign launch. Uh, so, Dara, thank you for taking the time out to speak Hi. to us. Um, first Hi. up, Vardkar's chances of winning if he's the underdog? Yeah, I mean, it's very tight. Um, polls indicate that um, his party, Fianna Gael, is level in the polls with Fianna Fáil. Um, the thinking is, though, that after the election, um, Fianna Fáil has a better chance of putting together a coalition with the likes of the Greens and the Labour Party. But look, it's very early days in the campaign, and um, three and a half weeks campaign, a lot can change over that uh, a month or so. You'd expect Fianna Gael to gain some ground. Um, they have a better known team. They've got a bit of a record, um, so you expect them to gain ground. But I mean, it's so early in the campaign, it's very hard to say. But yeah, it looks like he's got a bit of a, a fight in the sands to retain power. Zadara, what about Brexit in all this? How big a, an issue is Brexit? So um, it's fair to say that uh, Leo Radker has put Brexit right at the heart of his campaign. His message is this. Um, I have achieved a withdrawal agreement that keeps the Irish border visible after Brexit, but only at half time. The second part of this process is to negotiate a trade agreement with the UK. Um, I've shown you that I can do it, keep me in place, and I will help negotiate a trade deal which protects Ireland's economy. Um, so it's really at the heart of the kind of, of Leo Radker's appeal, um, both his past record um, in terms of securing withdrawal agreement and also from what he's promising to do kind of going forward. So, I mean, it really is, I mean, it's not a thing that people are talk, talking about much because, you know, it's already sort of behind it to an extent in terms of withdrawal agreement, but really it's, um, it is a part of Leo Radker's platform, a key part, I would say. So if it's not Varadkar, who could it be and how would that change uh, the state of the Brexit talks? Would they bring something different to the table, perhaps? So the leader of it all is uh, Micheál Martin. He's former foreign minister. Um, now, his problem is that he was part of the government that was involved in Ireland's economic crash, going stretching back a decade. Now, he didn't have an economic portfolio, so he wasn't directly associated with that. Um, basically, he's helped rebuild the party um, from a fairly low base. He's brought them back to level pegging with Fine Gael. Um, in terms of if he was Taoiseach, would it make a huge difference to the Brexit talks? No, I think not. Essentially, there's consensus here uh, and what need, in terms of what needs to be done. Um, Martin is very much a consensus figure. Uh, he's a conciliator. Uh, he's able to build coalitions, I think. So I don't think we'll see a huge difference um, A huge difference um, in, in policy. Might be slight difference in tone. Um, Martin was critical sometimes of the megaphone diplomacy that was, that was used between Dublin and London at times during the Brexit process. And so maybe a slight change in tone, but in terms of policy substance, no, I don't think so. But Dara, very briefly, if you would, because we're running out of time, what about the relationship with the North, with the newly constituted Stormont Assembly? Will the change in Dublin make any difference to the way the relations across that border? 
Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think that certainly Leo Varadkar was seen as quite an antagonistic figure by the unionist community. He was seen as pushing the idea of the border in the IRC. Um, so in a strange way, I think that the, the DUP at least would, would not be unhappy with a change of government and um, would see Michal Martin come into, into power. Um, that said, as I said, there's very, tends to be very little difference on, on policy in Dublin, on the north the parties, very little ideological difference. So again, it won't be a huge change of substance. I think this move might change it, might improve a little bit. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more.